start a new teaching series today called Invisible God. And we're going to be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter 7. That's where we're going to start. The Gospel of John, written by Jesus' probably best friend on planet Earth, uh, the, uh, the Apostle John. And so we're going to read some of the words that he records Jesus speaks to the people of Israel at a very unique time in Israel's uh, traditions and history. And so we'll jump right in there. John chapter 7, verse 37. We're going to read down to 39. Are you ready? All right, here we go. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Title of today's sermon, if you want to take notes, is water. Let's pray. God, we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to your presence today. We open our hearts to your nearness, God. I pray for your favor and your blessing today. I pray that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you'd be pleased. Help me to speak clearly and specifically. And I pray that each person's heart would receive from you today in Jesus' name. I pray for the person who is far from God, that they don't know who you are or how to interact with you. I pray that today that they would come close. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. I'm not a real huge country music fan. Any country music fans out there? All right, that's fine. There's another church for you. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, I'm not a massive country music fan. I feel like being a New Englander, Greg, where's Greg? I feel like being a New Englander, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm doing something sinful if I'm listening to country music, you know, but, but uh, I'm not a huge country music guy. It's not that I'm anti-country music. It's just that it's just not my thing. It never was growing up. I never really got into the whole country music scene. But uh, a while back now, I'm driving in my car and I'm kind of just flipping channels. I think I have it on scan or whatever on the radio. And I'm going from channel to channel to channel, and a song pops up that kind of caught my attention. And as I was preparing for the sermon today, and I didn't actually prepare today, I prepared throughout the week, but as I was preparing, this song kind of kept bubbling up in my mind, and, uh, and so I just want to share it with you. Can, you. can you throw that on there? See if we can get this song to play. There it is. Just enjoy this, all right? Come on. That makes you want a square dance, doesn't it? I was three years old. I mean, if you have to stand up and do a little like, you can, whatever you want to do. I mean, if you want to sit, that's fine too. I love a with water. Riverbank. Maybe we could do like a, like a kid's sing-along to that, you know, the summer sun, you know, something like that maybe. Maybe not. Okay. If you know the song, Brad Paisley gets a little sketchy after that. That's why we faded out, right? He starts talking about all these other things. But show clearly he needs to listen to our wingman series on relationships. But, 
The beginning of that song is just, uh, it talks, you know, the whole song is really talking about water. Of course, 60% of your body is water. 71% of planet Earth is water. All the crops that grow in fields that we eat every day need water. Animals to survive so that we can eat them need water. Uh, the power plants often need water. Cooking requires, that's what I'm told, I don't know how to cook, but requires water. Showering, I am familiar with, that requires requires water, right? All these different aspects of life. When we go on vacation, typically we go somewhere that there is water, right? I mean, water is just such an integral part of all of our lives. And Jesus here in John chapter 7 is using this unique opportunity to introduce to the people of Israel and to us today the person and the work of God's Holy Spirit. And so he tells them all about God's Spirit using this illustration. Now, it's the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you may not be familiar with Jewish tradition, so let me just give you a little bit of insight into how this works. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time in Israel's history where they would gather in Jerusalem and celebrate what God had accomplished for them through their ancestors in the wilderness with Moses. So you may know the story for 40 years, Moses uh, led the people through the wilderness to get to the promised land. It was during that time that God provided for them supernaturally. All types of crazy stuff happened, and God kept them alive so that they could enter into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is a time where people of Israel would come together. It's like a big, kind of like hippie, uh, you know, uh, Woodstock type thing, a little bit different, but where they would get together and they would all build these little huts. They would set up their tents, and for seven days, all the people would live in these tents all around Jerusalem to commemorate how their ancestors lived in tents or tabernacles throughout their time in the wilderness. And so the last day of the feast was a special day because the, the priest would take a bunch of, anybody want to guess? Water. The answer to everything is water today. A bunch of water, and they would take that water, and they would dump it out before the people, and they would remind the people of how Moses struck a rock in the wilderness when their ancestors were dehydrated and about to die of thirst, and the rock exploded forth with water. So it's in this context that Jesus stands up. They may have just performed that act. We don't know exactly, but it's the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and maybe the high priest just dumped the water everywhere, and all the people are going, oh, Oh, we remember when the rock broke forth with water. And then Jesus steps up and says, hey, if anybody's thirsty, and he speaks about the Holy Spirit. He introduces the Holy Spirit. Now, since the beginning of time, the human race has been trying to understand God, right? We've been trying to understand who he is. And through the Old Testament, we see a revelation of God that supersedes any human revelation of any culture or people. It is a revelation that God is one. And in a polytheistic world where people worshiped multiple gods, the fact that Israel decreed that God is one was something special and unique to the people of Israel. And so they claimed that God was one, that they had one great ruling monarch. He's holy. He's all-powerful. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He knows all, right? So this is the image of God that we see in the Old Testament. And so people understood God as one and God as great and good, right? And so this was the revelation that Israel had. They also understood that God was a loving and compassionate God, a God that cared deeply for his people. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God speaks through prophets and through kings and rulers, and frequently there are passages of scripture that are a little bit grammatically awkward in terms of describing God as one. In other words, you can start from the very beginning. God says in the beginning, we will make man in our image. 
So it's like, wait, you're one, right? Yes, he's one. God is one. We will make him in, we will make man in our, in, uh, wait, what's going on here? And so they didn't know how to completely understand God. It's through Jesus, when he steps on the scene, that Jesus now gives us a clearer picture of God because he claims equality with the Father. And so uh, Jesus says, listen, the God you've been worshiping, the God you've been studying, we call him the Father, but I am the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and I am equal in power and attributes to the Father. And this, according to the people of Israel at the time, was incredibly confusing and mildly blasphemous. And so when John opens up his gospel in John chapter 1, he says some things that blew the mind of the modern man at that time. This is what he says. Check it out. He says, in the beginning, before all time was the word, Christ, okay? And so I'm using the Amplified Translation to see the fullness of this verse. And the word was with God, and the word was God himself. In other words, he's saying, Jesus Christ is the word of God, and the word of God is its own unique person, and he is God. And it says he was present originally with God. All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him was not even one thing made that was that has come into being. And so, in other words, what the scripture says in the New Testament is that God the Son is the uncreated, eternal, equal of God with all the attributes of the Father. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray... They say, wait, we understand the Father, and we're just now getting a glimpse of the Son, so we understand that somehow God is two persons, but one essence. We're not exactly sure how that works, but it seems that's what you're describing, and Jesus says, well, actually, it's a little more complicated than that. He says there's a third person in the Trinity. When you baptize someone, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus introduces for us this third person of the Trinity. And so I want just for a moment, you know, in the next 30 seconds to answer all your questions about the Trinity. That was, that was a joke. That one fell really flat. Uh, I'm not going to answer all your questions about the Trinity. It's an incredibly complex, nuanced, and in some ways unsearchable truth. But uh, here's what we do know about the Trinity according to scriptures, that, they, that God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one essence. Very thankful for the many theologians and scholars that have tried to put language around this as they've studied the scriptures. One of my favorite is a great theologian, Wayne Grudem. He says this about the Trinity. He says, these are the three basic principles that make up the revelation of the Trinity according to followers of Christ. First is that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's clearly evidenced in scripture that God is three unique persons. Then the second thing is that each person is fully God. So they're not half God or a third God each. They're all fully God. And then the third thing is that there is one God. <laughs> okay. We can swing with that, right? And so this is how he begins to describe it. He says, the distinction between the persons of God is not a difference in being, but a difference in relationships. This is something far removed from our human experience, where every different human person is a different being as well. Somehow, God's being is so much greater than ours that within his one undivided being, there can be an unfolding of interpersonal relationships so that there can be three distinct persons, okay? So let me try to illustrate as best I can. Go ahead and throw that first little chart up there. Bing. 
So that first chart is not an accurate description of what Christians would say God is like. In other words, this would dictate that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each a third of the entire entity God. Okay, that's not what Scripture teaches. It doesn't say that the Son is a third God and the Holy Spirit is a third God and the Father is a third God. That's not it. So go ahead and throw the next one up there. The next one would say, ding, that God is kind of uh, just one person, but three different ways of revealing himself, right? So there's three different ways of looking at God. This is not also an accurate picture of what the scripture describes. It doesn't say God is one person with three different manifestations. That's not what the scripture says. It describes three distinct people, one essence. So throw the last one up there. This would be as best we can describe the, uh, the, the most accurate description in terms of a circle that we could describe that these dotted lines would infer that the son does not end in those borders, but he is fully God. The father does not end in those borders, but he is fully God. The Holy Spirit does not end in those borders. He is fully God. Three distinct and equal persons. The being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. One in essence, three in persons. See, I told you I'd explain it all in a few minutes, right? You got that? And so this is what we've got in our understanding of God. And certainly there is mystery here. Certainly there is, uh, there is aspects of this that no human mind can comprehend. But what we do know is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit don't differ in attributes. They are all eternal. They are all omnipotent, all omnipresent. They are all holy. They are all loving. But they do differ in function or activity. And so what we're going to do today, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. And today is sort of an introduction to the works of the Holy Spirit, okay, an introduction. And so first we have to discern, okay, if they differ in function, what do we see those functions being? Well, we see the function as the Father throughout Scripture as the planner, as the one who decrees, as the director, the sender, the commander. So the Father speaks, let there be light. The Father sends the Son. The Father is the one who plans and who commands. Now, God the Son, as revealed in Scripture, is equal in being to the Father, but subordinate in role. In other words, what that means is he is not a less God, but he chooses within the Trinity to submit to the deeds or the works or the commands of the Father. And so it's God the Son whose job is to fulfill the decree of the Father. You notice that the scripture says that the Father spoke the world into existence, but the Son made the world. You tracking with that so far? Oh, that's not encouraging. Everybody doing okay? All right, turn to somebody and just tell them it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. It's going to, he's almost through the theological density, okay? It's going to get easier, I promise. And so, and so what we find is we find that the Son does the works of the Father. So if God the Father, and remember, I'm, everything I'm saying is, has its limitations because we're describing the Creator, and there's only so much that we as humans can grasp. But uh, what the Scripture describes is that the three persons of the Trinity work in perfect unity to accomplish the will of God. And so God the Father... Father brings forth the command, God the Son, equal in being subordinate in role, fulfills that command, and then God the Holy Spirit, well, what's he do? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today in the next few weeks, and it's my prayer, and it's my confidence that God has heard my prayer, and that we are going to not just know more about the Holy Spirit in the next four weeks, we are going to know the Holy Spirit in greater personhood, in greater intimacy, in greater reality than we ever have in our lives. Water break. 
That's my prayer. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. So it's not an it. The Holy Spirit is the he. Not a fraction of God, but the fullness of God. He is the one that discerns the plans of the Father, the works of the Son, and he sustains and completes those works sent forth from the Father and the Son to complete the works that they have planned. John Piper, one great pastor, says it like this about the Holy Spirit. He says, the, the Son is the eternal image that the Father... Man, this might twist your brain a little bit. The Son is the eternal image that the Father has of his own perfections, okay? And so the Son, his own unique person, is the eternal image of the Father, his own perfections. And then he says, the Holy Spirit is the eternal love that flows between the Father and the Son as they delight in each other. How can this love be a person in its own right? Words fail. But we, can we not say that the love between the Father and the Son is so perfect, so constant, and carries so completely that all they are in themselves, that, is, that this love stands forth itself as a person in its own right. God, the Holy Spirit, the invisible God, present with us right now, available and so the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at who is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus introduces them to the people of Israel, and he uses the illustration of water, right? He says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then, he said, and then the scripture gives a little commentary on the sides. He's actually speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord is going to give after he ascends to the Father. And so this is the illustration of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to discern what is Jesus trying to illustrate for us through this water analogy. And I'm going to give you four ways that the Holy Spirit works. And I would say that these are the four primary theological ways that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. You've got to remember that this is today the introduction to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you four ways. I encourage you, write these down. They will become for us a foundation for the next four weeks, four ways, and we're going to use water as an illustration just as Jesus does. Now, the first thing that is obvious about water is that it is a life giver, right? If you took all the water off of planet Earth, every single living thing would die. It is impossible for any life to be sustained outside of water. In the same way, it is God's Holy Spirit who is the eternal life giver. Look at what it says in Job chapter 34 in the scriptures. It says, if he, that's God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Do you see that? In other words, what he's saying, if God withdrew his spirit, everybody would be dead. That's encouraging, right? Let's hope he doesn't do that today. So what we see in the scripture is that the Holy Spirit is the life giver. John chapter 6, Jesus says it really simply. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life, right? Just answer the question. So number one role of the Holy Spirit is that he releases life. You can jot that down if you'd like to take notes. He releases life. The Holy Spirit is the life releaser. Think about it like this, and every illustration has its limitations, but say that the Father said, turn on the light, and the Son said, okay, and flip the switch. It would be the Holy Spirit that is the electricity that makes the light come on. You see how that works? The Father decreed, the Son acted, the Spirit empowered. It is the releasing life responsibility of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Luke chapter 1, where the scripture uh, shows an a time where Mary, the mother of Jesus, has an encounter with an angel. And the angel says, you are going to birth the Son of God. And she says, how is that possible? And he says, the Holy Spirit is going to knit the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to a human form. 
It was the Holy Spirit's job to do it. And the scripture tells us in Romans 8 that when Jesus' cold, dead body was laying in a tomb on Sunday morning, it was the Holy Spirit who walked into that tomb and breathed on a dead body and made him stand up. It was the spirit who brought life. In fact, in John chapter three, I'm getting crazy today. In John chapter three, it talks about how Jesus teaches us that if you want to ever know God, you have to be born again or born from above. And he says, it's the Holy Spirit that brings that regeneration. God's spirit is the only reason why you're saved through Jesus Christ, because God's spirit turned the light on inside of you so that you could see the glory of the gospel and receive personally the sacrifice that Christ made, you can't even see that in yourself. You're not smart enough. You're not spiritual enough. It's the Holy Spirit who enlightens your mind, illuminates your soul so that you can see the beauty of the gospel. He's the reason that you're breathing right now. He's the reason that you're a follower of Jesus right now. He's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can clap about that. And it gets even better because the scripture tells us that one day that same Holy Spirit is going to gather every molecule from your body, even though it might be decomposed and in a million places because you wanted to sprinkle your ashes and it's all over the place. And so he collects them all and he puts back together a permanent eternal body and he says, life, come back into that body. It's the Holy Spirit that will rise you from the dead. That's what Christians believe. It's incredible. And so the Spirit releases life. We got that one? Okay, but water does other things too. Water also flushes the soul, right? Water is a body flusher. In other words, if things aren't coming out well, drink more water, right? The water allows your kidneys, there we go. The water allows your kidneys, your intestines, it allows all your inner organs to properly function, right? Without that water, things lock up. Somebody can say amen to that. Things lock up, and then the junk doesn't get out, right? The junk doesn't get out. And so you gotta see water physically as kind of the handyman or the general contractor of your body. In other the water, in other words, the water is like, okay, we've got to get this stuff out. And so let's get it moving, folks. Let's push it out. Let's get it through all these different organs and out the other side. And this is one of the great works of water in the same way the Holy Spirit renovates the soul. That's the second work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the Holy Spirit releases life, but the Holy Spirit renovates the soul. You have to see the Holy Spirit as the general contractor of your soul because you got issues, don't you? Come on. You struggle with that depression. You wrestle with that fear. You're insecure around that person. You're always contending for the job to get the promotion and you're upset when you don't get it. You're frustrated about being alone. You're frustrated about being married. You're annoyed by your kids. You got all kinds of issues. It's the Holy Spirit that is internally working to renovate your soul. Let me show it to you in scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter six. It says this, and such were some of you. This is the apostle Paul making a big list of stupid things humans do. And then he says, and such were some of you. But then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's by the name or the power of Jesus. But then it says, look at that, and by the spirit of our God. So who's going to apply the sanctifying power of the God to your life? It's not a trick question. The Holy Spirit is going to, right? The Holy Spirit is going to. In Titus chapter 3, it says it like this. It says, he saved us, that's Jesus, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Somebody say renewal. <laughs> renewal by the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the renewal process. That word renewal in the Greek could actually be translated renovation, 
renovation. And so in other words, the Holy Spirit does renovate the soul. He's right now in your soul. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you right now going, oh, he's got these big walls of pride. We got to tear these down. He's got these nasty staircase of fear. Let's rip that out. He's got these windows of anxiety. We're going to have to blow those out. We're going to have to put a whole extension on here because he's thinking too small. We got to expand some things. The Holy Spirit is at work right now in your soul doing some renovations, and you should be thankful for it. That's his job. He is the renovator of the human heart. It's important, but that's not all water can do, right? There's other things that water can do too. One of the most incredible things about water is that there's something glorious about it, is there not? You can remember the time you walked up to a particular ocean or river, or maybe you were at the, uh, at the uh, what's that big water, Niagara Falls, and you were looking down and you saw just the crashing water, or maybe you were you know, doing this, that. I just recently, I've been trying to find new ways, God's doing this whole new thing in me, new ways to like unplug and unwind. And so the other day, um, I'm like unplugging and I'm watching this like IMAX video of like all these scenes of water, you know? And my wife walks over, I don't even have the volume on, I'm just looking at it. My wife walks over, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at this glorious water. Why? Is that weird? And she's like, yeah. And so she just left with me just looking at the glorious water. But there is something amazing. I can remember a time in the Philippines. I was in the Philippines years ago, and I saw this incredible beach. There were these snow-capped mountains all on the sides, and there was rain coming down, and the waves were crashing on this beach. And as I looked out over the ocean, there was something inside my heart that sung. Don't you know that feeling? There's something glorious about water. When you see the power, the beauty, the awe of water, it's almost like you're seeing something divine. Now, Jesus decided to describe the Holy Spirit as water because he understood that water carries that divine experience, that capacity. It's not just a connection. It's a true shadow of God because the third thing that the Holy Spirit does, we've seen that he releases life, right? We've seen that he renovates the soul, but the third very important important role of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals God. It's the job of God's Holy Spirit to reveal God. Oh, we're going somewhere today. I'm telling you, there's some good stuff coming, so stay, stay focused, all right? The Holy Spirit reveals God. He, notice how they all start with R. You know, that's like another little thing just to help you out. I work hard on these things. You don't even appreciate me. Thanks a lot. That's okay. The Holy Spirit does. He reveals God, all right? He reveals God. Now, what does that mean? He reveals God through uh, Scripture. That's one way. Guess who wrote the Scriptures? Well, Peter wrote First Peter, and John wrote John. No, we actually believe as followers of God that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture. He used human beings, but look at what Peter said about the Scriptures. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by Jesus. No, that's not Jesus' job. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that wrote scriptures. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired those scriptures. We see in the scripture again and again that the Holy Spirit reveals God by teaching believers. Have you ever opened up this book and it's just felt flat and distant like an historical old biography and then other times you open it up and it comes alive and it speaks to you and it connects with your soul and you're like, this is incredible. Come on, anybody in the house? 
You know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit who speaks to you through the scriptures. He's teaching you. That's his job. I wonder what it would be like if you understood what his job is so that we could partner with him in seeing it happen. The Holy Spirit guides us. That's another way that he reveals God. He reveals God by guiding us. He reveals God by uh, experiencing in us and through us miracles, signs, and wonders. He gives us supernatural gifts. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. It's going to be awesome. He does all these different great works, and they are all by the Spirit. So we see, just to recap here, we see that the Holy Spirit releases life. He is the life releaser. We see that the Holy Spirit renovates the soul. He is the soul renovator. And we see that the Holy Spirit reveals God. He reveals God to people. One more characteristic of water I want to mention today. Water has an incredible capacity or ability to gather people. You ever notice that New York is built around the Hudson, Paris around the Seine, London, the Thames, Chicago, Lake Michigan, Moscow, the Moscow River, Dubai, the Persian Gulf, Boston, the Charles River. You could go on and on and on. Look at every major city. Virtually every major city on planet Earth was built around water. And see, since Cain and Abel in the scripture, human beings have been fighting against one another. They've been competing and comparing, trying to outdo one another, their business to succeed over someone else's, their uh, uh, pursuit of a person to beat out somebody else, always looking to be better, always looking to compare. This idea of pushing and shoving the rat race of life. You're living it. You're experiencing how people will just cut you out and push you over, how friends will leave you hanging if it's better for them to go out without you. It's so incredible how selfish people can be, and it's something inherent inside the soul of humanity that draws us to this selfishness. But in Acts chapter 2, Jesus releases from the Father the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the people in the upper room, and 120 people now have a fireball over their head. It was one of the ways the Holy Spirit revealed God. And they begin speaking in other languages, and the people around them hear those languages as their own native tongues. And so thousands gather around the people of God in Acts chapter 2. And in the midst of that, Peter stands up and he reveals the fourth way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives by quoting the prophet Joel. Stay with me. He says, but this is what they uttered through what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is what Peter decrees before the people of Israel at this time. And he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. In other words, what he's saying is that God has inaugurated a new age for humanity. There was an age where God the Father was the only thing that the people of Israel understood. God is one. There was an age where God the Son stepped on planet earth and began to describe himself as the second person of the Trinity. And our understanding of the Godhead expanded. But Peter here is saying by the power of God that we are living right now, folks, in a new age of the Spirit, the age of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit can be personally known and experienced. He says that it's for men and it's for women. It's for the old and it's for the young. It's for the rich and it's for the poor. It's for the black and it's for the white. Every person, all different tracks in all different areas can experience the power and the life of God. God's Holy Spirit. See, the fourth characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that he restores unity. It was God's plan 
that he would put the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the believer. And the Holy Spirit would allow that believer to not make life about himself anymore, but to reorient his entire life around Jesus. And then he would find others that have done the same thing, worshiping and honoring Jesus with their whole lives. And so those two individuals now can experience a unity that's even deeper than family, even deeper than normal friendship, a supernatural spirit unity. And when those people gather in large groups, he says it's the only eternal thing on this planet other than the human soul, the local church that will live forever by God's grace in eternity. And it's because the Holy Spirit knits the hearts of believers together, one to another, to create a unity that's impossible otherwise. This is why the Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's incredible. The plan of God. Because what he does is he gives one person a particular gift and another person a particular gift and another person a particular gift and you don't have all the gifts. And because you don't have all the gifts, you need your brother. And if you're going to complete each other, you might be the hand, he might be the foot. You never cut the foot off the hand or off the body because you need each other. There's an interdependence and this is what it means to be in the body and to be unified. So those are the four ways the Holy Spirit works in your life. Everybody doing okay so far? The Holy Spirit, the people in front are, everybody else, since I'm losing the people in the back there. The Holy Spirit releases life. The Holy Spirit renovates the soul. The Holy Spirit reveals God. The Holy Spirit restores unity. This is the introduction here. But there's something else I want to hit before we go today. Something special here. Something that is um, pulsating in my soul. And I just pray that I can communicate it clearly. In that passage that we read about water and about how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as water, he does something unexpected. Jesus stands up before the people of Israel. Maybe they had just dumped out the water on the last day of the feast. And Jesus says, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, the assumption that I have as a reader is that he's going to say, for I am the water of life and I will fill your cup, right? And thank God for cups that get filled, right? So Jesus says, I want to fill your cup, right? I am the living water. Let me fill your cup with life. But it's interesting, although that wouldn't be completely theologically inaccurate, it's interesting that that's not actually what Jesus says. Come on, stay with me today, church. He says here, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But he doesn't say, because you're an empty cup and I'm going to fill you up. What I'm trying to get at today is that God's best for you is not just a full cup. In other words, your happiness, your satisfaction, your fulfillment in a full cup is not all that God has for you. He doesn't say here, I am an external distant being who's going to dump my fullness upon you and that external distant being will fill you up with happiness and life and that's the totality of what it means to be human. That is the full expression that God can do through humanity. Ah, there's something greater. Come on, stay with me. There's something greater here. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, whoever believes, did you catch it? Whoever believes in me, out of his, Joe, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, he's saying, listen, I have a greater purpose. Oh, I have a greater purpose for the human race. See, I became man in Christ. I became the second person of the Trinity, became a human so that I could live among you, so that I could go to the cross, so that I could take your sin upon my shoulders, so that I could exchange for you my righteousness in the atonement, so that I could justify you before the Father, so that you could be blameless and perfect for all time, so that I could die on a cross and resurrect, and then after 
after resurrecting from the grave, I could ascend to heaven so that I could send the Holy Spirit. And so my greatest invitation for the human race is not just to be a cup that gets filled. There's something better than a cup for humanity. There's something more beautiful. God's intention is that the works that he does inside of you become the works that you yourself embody. Excuse me. And so he says, I don't just want you to be a cup. I want you actually to be a faucet. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm going to plant my Holy Spirit inside of you. I am going to allow your spirit and my spirit to be fused together in an unbreakable bond. So the greatest purpose of the human race is not, oh, you guys see this, is not just to be full of God. The greatest purpose of the human race is to be full of God and to be enabled to dispense God to a world that doesn't know him. I am making you a faucet so that you can have inside of you these rivers that just pour out of you. You're more than just a full cup and a happy life. You are my agent of transformation in the world. And now we begin to see that the works of the Holy Spirit actually become the works of the believer. And so it's the believer's job through your words. I, by the power of the Spirit, can release life just as the Holy Spirit releases life. I can release life. Come on, band, don't let me down. I can release life through the Holy Spirit. I can release the life of God by, you got to see this, the works of the Holy Spirit become your works when you believe. In other words, what he's saying is, by the Holy Spirit, you can release the life of God. By the Holy Spirit, your words can bring sanctification to your brother. Your words can renovate the soul of another. Your words can transform the life of another because the Holy Spirit inside of you enables him and enables you to do the work of the Spirit by releasing like a faucet forth from within. You can release life. You can renovate the soul. You can reveal God. Come on, you got to see this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal God to a broken world. But his conduit of change is the faucet of humanity. He's saying, you individual as a follower of Christ have the capacity by the Spirit to now reveal God to those around me. And friend, you by the Spirit can restore unity in Jesus' name. You got to see that it's your job by the Spirit, to take the works of the Spirit and release them to a broken world. This was his plan all along. If anyone believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is what it's about, church. God's got something huge for you. The great call of humanity is not just to be a cup full of God. The great call of humanity is to be a faucet that releases the life of God into a broken world. Come on, stand to your feet today. you got to believe, church. You gotta believe. You gotta believe. You gotta believe. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I want you to see this today. I want you to see this today in verse 39. It says that we are to receive the Spirit. We are to receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, stay with me today. We're to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that word receive is very important. In the Greek translation, there are primarily two words used for receive in the New Testament. The first is dekomai, a Greek word dekomai. And what it means is to passively accept. Okay, in other words, it's like you're sitting at a restaurant and the waiter brings your food. And that's wonderful. It's beautiful. But that's not the word that's used here. When Jesus says that we must receive the Holy Spirit, he uses the word in the Greek lambano. And that's a word that is an active receiving. It's as if you went to a buffet and somebody 
said all the food is free and it's all you can eat, but all you've got to do is take your plate and walk up and fill it with all the different things that are available. In other words, Jesus is saying there is more available for you than what you put on your plate. You must receive the Holy Spirit. You must receive his new life. You must receive his sanctification. You must receive his revelation of God. You must receive his unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. There's more for you, friend. He has more for you than you realize. What I want you to see this morning is that you're not done with God, that this is just the beginning, that God's Holy Spirit is here right now, and he wants to reveal to you his presence, his power, his person. Would you lift up your hands today just as a sign of surrender? Let's receive actively. Let's receive actively right now. Holy Spirit, as we begin this next month of focus on you, I pray that you would do what the scripture says you do. I pray that you release life over the broken right now. I pray for every person battling depression, every person feeling the darkness of this world, every person empty on themselves, God. I pray that you would release the life, the same resurrection life that rose Jesus from the dead, that it would fill this room right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the person battling addiction, that you would begin to renovate the soul in a way that you only can, God, a supernatural renovation of the soul in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the person that feels far from you. I pray that you would reveal God to that individual in profound and perfect ways in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for the person, God, who feels so far from you or from others that you would restore unity right now. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I invite you. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Holy Spirit, I invite you right now. For more information, visit OurCityChurch.org.